Okay, so today I'm in Surrey with legend of the betting ring, Johnny Lights. Johnny, so um, so pleased that you've agreed to, to do this interview. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, first of all, everybody will know you as Johnny Lights, but your surname is Herndel. So where did your nickname come from? Well, what happened was my dad um, used to be a, a trader, sell bits and pieces. He had a fruit stall and he put all to attract attention he put all lights around the stall and unfortunately when he passed away the name of lights went on to me so, so you you were a well-known face a regular on uk race courses for several years for decades so how long were you active on the race course I first went when I was 18, about roughly 18. Um, I haven't been, unfortunately, December's 14th coming up. It's the anniversary of me not being well for 13 years. I was at the races one day, didn't feel great. Come on. I said to me, Meg, I don't feel well. We lived in Tankerton, down in Whitstable, in a penthouse that I'd bought from previous sales of where we lived. We sort of moved up. And I didn't feel well. I had a pal down there I friended me with. Megan found him. She said, Pete, Johnny's done. Not great. Come round anyway. He came round. As soon as he came in, he said, "John, you're not well, mate." He said, "I'm going to phone for an ambulance." Phone for an ambulance. Three hours later, I was in Margate Intensive Care, fighting sepsis. was in there, I don't know, two or three, a good two months. Um, I eventually, thank God, came out, started to slowly get on my feet again. We had a beautiful penthouse overlooking the sea. And I started playing again. You know, and eventually, I got back to the races. Now, by that time, you know, from being like a prostitute's knickers up and down, I I got going, and I, I not so much knew what I was doing, but I plonked myself around people that I know. They did know what they were doing. Um, I started, I had certain members on the rails that worked for major companies. I finished up friendly with one or two and, you know, they, they were good to me with what they tell me and 
I tried the Pacific Gate with different things anyway. I started then to find out one or two was hot and as I say, I've pumped myself around them. Uh, I went from having two or three hundred quid on in about two or three years. I was capable of having ten or fifteen grand on. Um, there was a very strong market. However, eventually, that, for some unknown reason, that the bookmaking became from a strong ring, became a very weak ring. And where you could get your whack on, and the biggesters could get their whack on, it became so weak that a lot of the big players wouldn't go because they couldn't get on. And there was a hell of a lot of business went on off course. However, the introduction of pitches came where you could, instead of being wherever you bet in the ring seniority, you were able to buy and sell pitches. Now, a lot of people thought at the time that bookmaking, if you was a bookmaker, you had a license to print money. And the race calls pitches were very attractable to people that wanted to be a bookmaker. But it wasn't quite the gold mine I thought it was. Now, through inexperience and playing up members who they didn't know was up members, plenty went by the wayside and finished up selling back the pitches because they had no more money. They'd sell the pitches cheaper than what they give for them. Um, it became, as I say, a very, very strong ring. Scotland, there were bookmakers, um, you know, that would take a big bet. In the north, the market were very strong. There were big players and around skinny ones. It was very hard for the firms such as Coral, Seals, Ladbrokes. They used to send money back to the course. But in the north of England, there weren't much point in them sending money back because it was very hard for them to shorten them up. And that was the object of the operation. Major firms had sent money back to the course to try and shorten them up. And... As I say, in the north, I found it very difficult because there were such big players. And um, there was a period where, as I say, the ring went very slim, but the introduction of buying and selling pitches, 
put new life in the ring. And I won't say everyone who came bought pitches, were didn't know what they were doing, but plenty didn't know what they were doing. And they quickly got bet up by the op mob at the races. And that was it. I used to go, I wasn't frightened to travel. If I thought I had a chance somewhere looking at the card, I'd go there. There's a shop in the west end of London, don't know if it's still there, but it used to sell time form for the following couple of days. And, you know, I wore a time form addict. And it enabled me to find out where I would have a chance. And, I, you know, I'd got going by then. I were a lot more selective. And I knew book bookmakers, some you couldn't get to bob on with, where some were, as I say, very big players. I remember a wonderful story. Owing to the, me having the ticket bureau and booking, uh, a guy phoned me up from Ireland. His name was John Mulhern. He unfortunately passed away later. And he said to me, I booked him in the hotels and two leaves over for Royal Ascot. And a couple of times I went out to dinner in the week. And he was telling me raging stories, different things. And he said to me, now, Johnny, I want you to remember this name. He said, in Ireland, there's a guy very hot. And he's coming to England to train horses. He said his name is Barney Curley. He said, and believe me, he said, you, you don't want to be against him. He said, invariably, he'll be right when he puts it down. So there came a time at York, funny story, I've always had very poor legs. I went to an accident I had in 1971. And having such bad legs, I looked like I had to have a wider, shoes had to be wider. And I found that a shop in Bond Street sold wide fitting but they were crocodile shoes. And they weren't cheap, but it were of at to have them. So this particular day, Barney had now come over. He'd got going, he had a couple of real touches. He plonked himself between Michael Stout, Cecil, and he was a good lead round their horses. Wasn't always right, but invariably
he was right a lot more times than he was wrong. So came this day at York. It was a time where they didn't have to play off course because the ring was so strong, you could see what they were doing in the hot mob. Cut a story short, Barney came to York. He bore weak. And surprised to see him there, but he was there. He plonked himself round, because he'd won a, a fair bet. He plonked himself round Whelan, Steve, Leslie Steele, Colin Webster, Stephen Little, and the, some big hitters. So once he came in the ring, he couldn't get away from me. It was my business to be on him. To cut a story short, as soon as he come in the ring again, bang, I'd be on him. And he couldn't get away from me. And one day, he turned around to me. He said, Johnny, I want you. He said, you see those crocodile shoes you wear? He said, you want to be trading them in for a pair of hobnail boots? He said, you are, you'd make a good policeman. He said, every time I look round, you're behind me. And I said to him, Barney, please God for you and me, that I'm always on your towel. I said, because the day you look round and I ain't there, I said it would be no good for me and no good for you. I like to be round up members, as I say. I didn't see any future being round cold ones. There were some hot merchants, but there was also some imposters that thought they were up. And, you know, the races was a place where fortunes won and were won and lost. Uh, as I say, the North End in Scotland, I used to like, Megan and I, we used to go to the main festival with Starkland Eagles. And by that time, I became very friendly with a guy called John Goff. And for my money, in the last 40 years, I saw there's two people who jumping, not flat, two people that stood head and shoulders above all others. That was John Goff, and now I've been putty with for many years, Stevie Hamilton. It were no fluke that they were good judges. They put plenty of work in. Stevie uh, Hamilton would be up six in the morning doing the card, it was his business, and he became a very, he worked in the meat market, but eventually, he slowly got going and he became a professional gambler at the races. 
as I say, was a very good judge. And him and Goffey, for me, were head and shoulders above all the others. John, I'm interested to know about your youth and where you were brought up. Your dad was a bookie, is that right? He was an illegal bookie. Illegal. He'd take bets at the kiosk. Not big bets, small bets. However, there come a time when the government that was in control didn't want no more illegal gambling. And they decided to make it legal. You had to have then uh, a license which was, you had to go to a court, a stip mostly a stipendary court, to get apply for the license. Now, a funny story, my dad now, it was a hundred quid, the permit. He then went to the court to get his permit and he had a man to get it for him, a lovely man called a QC, called Peter Burge. However, my dad got in the box, applied for the permit, and the prosecutor said to the judge, he said, how can you give this man a permit, a license? He's got 170 convictions for being illegal. Burge got up, he said, sir, he said, this is why we're here today to stop illegal gambling and the government want it now all straight and above board. Shops are going to be introduced where people can walk in freely, have a bet, not doing nothing wrong and that instead of having a bet with a street bookie who betting under sheds and pubs and anyway that was that I then was I was very young at the time but my main the start of me I used to do a paper round for my mum and dad at the kiosk I used to enter the horses on the bets he'd taken and that was how I started in a very young age but unfortunately I loved the skinny one and I'd get ironed out with regularity but I then went to Oxford Street where I became a selling out the suitcase and I'd get a few quid I'd go to Allgate on a Sunday morning, was very, very good. And I, 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 was, I started to get a few quid, but still loved the skinny one. It was like a prostitute's knickers, I'd be up and down. 
but I then went on to, as I say, um, I, I went to White City. I used to love White City, Thursday and Saturday. There was only eight races, but there was plenty of money around. Uh, two guys in White City were the pop stars. Was a man called Philly L and Manny King. And unfortunately, Manny King had a lovely clerk. His name was Johnny Ogan, but he had a drink problem. This particular Thursday night, he couldn't go to work, Manny. He had no clerk. So a fellow that worked for him, he said, Manny, he said, he's here. I know he's young, he said, but he's here, Johnny Lights. He said, he can clerk. I then started clerking for Manny King. I lasted about 18 months, Thursdays and Saturdays. But, you know, I never drew my wages. I'd, I'd do it on a skinny one, work for nothing. Well, then, as I say, the World Cup come along. And I got going. From the tank being 50 quid, 100 quid, one and a half, it was now you know, quite strong, 10 or 15. Can you explain how, how you got the money at the World Cup? Pardon? Can you explain how you got the money at the World Cup? Well, what happened was people, supporters of the 32 teams, different supporters, travelled miles. You know, Italy, France, Spain, some North, uh, North American teams pretty weak teams, but however, as their whack of supporters. But what happened was, the supporters would buy, have to buy their tickets in a block. It became cheaper. The first round of the World Cup, they were cheaper than the next round. And as the competition went on, the tickets, which I bought, were more expensive. However, what happened was, sides that come Brazil, Ecuador, and they travelled from the other side of the world. And it came to the position where, once their side got knocked out, at the end of the first batch of games, their tickets were, you know, they were no good because they were no longer interested in it. And it was either put the tickets in a bin or sell them to us at, you know, you, you could bid them and you buy them pretty cheap. And thank God, England went on to win, as you know, and the tickets became, with England in going to Wembley in the final, 
I became more and more valuable. And from now on being worthless, at one stage, I became pretty valuable. I then, as I say, got on my feet while the World Cup was on. I also used to be at a show, Andrew Lloyd Webber had a show called Cats and fortunately I was playing with a guy who was selling the tickets in the cat's office and we used to I know to sell them to different black bucket ticket shops and and touch wood it was a very successful time for me now what with the World Cup what with the cat show I also by then had a, I had a share in a Bureau de Change in um, the Royal Muse just Sloan's throw from Buckingham Palace and some very rich people from other countries would visit England and it, it was pretty good business for us because we used to buy and sell money. We charged 9% commission and at 3.30 every day, the banks closed and instead of having one ball, we'd take that in and we get out what we used to call the flint board. And it was pretty good. And then I started going to the... I packed up with Manny because, as I say, I... I couldn't never draw me wages. Started to go to the races and that was it. I had a period where I was doing no good at all before that and I became, a, I used to work in Oxford Street and not many things I can do in my life but I can count and I could make a pin pellet watch, I could make it sound as if it were a longine or I was very good at selling in the street. In them days it was, it wasn't serious, but you get nicked for eyewear obstruction. And the following morning you had to go to Marlborough Street Court and suppositioned, go in the box. The magistrate was called John Harmsworth. We'd go in the box. John, you were arrested four times in Oxford Street yesterday. Do you plead guilty on the first or second? On the first we deal with, plead guilty or not guilty? Guilty, sir. Guilty, guilty, guilty. At the end, he'd say, have you anything to say? 
answer would be, don't want to waste your time, sir. And he, although he was a, a stipendary magistrate, he, the first, when the court, 10 o'clock, on a go with the drunks, maybe 10 or 20 drunks, they'd get found there, a pound or half a quid, whatever. Then it was deal with the street traders. And a funny story, we had a guy out there was friendly with his name was Jake and he was very, very funny. And this particular morning um his name was David. Uh Armswood said to him, Morning David, say morning sir. He said he was arrested twice yesterday. Highway obstruction, first one guilty or not guilty, second one guilty, plea guilty on both. He then said to Armsworth, he said, sir, he said, I went to the White City last night and went skint. He said, if you find me any more than a tenner on each, you'll outlend it to me. And all my life I've been around people that were funny and, you know, witty. Uh, from there I got going a bit, went back to the races. And then, as I say, thank God, the World Cup came along and it started to happen for me. What with the Bureau? Walk with the show Cats and having a fair tank now, I've built up over being around the grounds in the World Cup. The tank, where it was always 20 quid, 40 quid, 80 quid, if I had a touch, it'd be a monkey, 600 quid. And as I say, Invariably, I'd get ironed out. But by the what with the World Cup, the Cats, and the Bureau, I run into a fair, fair bit of money. The tank would have been twenty or thirty grand. It's a lot of money in nineteen sixty-six. Well, it's a lot of money now, but in nineteen sixty-six, believe me, Simon. It was a fortune, and I decided that I was going back to the races. I had learned a bit by then because I've got older, and where I used to murder me money in handicaps and grounds, I decided that this is my chance. We had some you know, big players in the South. Stephen Little would have been the star. Ronnie Bolton. A man called from Oxford called John Turner. Big player. Taffy. Victor Chandler on the rails was a big player. John Banks was a big player. And the ring became pretty strong. So, as I say, 
the hot mob didn't have to play off course. They'd play on course because the market was strong. And it was good for me because I could see what they were doing. And I would, you know, as I say, I've always thought I wasn't a great judge of horses, but I thought I were a very good judge of a judge. Um, there were big players in the ring that got to know different things from different training yards. And I became very, very friendly with the best man I ever knew in racing. His name was Leslie Woods. He was a wonderful man. He learned me a lot of things. He was a very respected man that was trusted and certain trainers. Dick Hearn was his major lead and when Newbury was on, he used to go to East Isley where Dick Hearn trained and he stayed with him on the Friday night for the Saturday. Now, they weren't great boozers, but they liked a, a, the odd drink with dinner and they'd only drink the best. And Leslie went to stayed at East Arsley with Dick Hearn and Dick Hearn's name was Sheila and Dick said Sheila get that bottle of pulp whatever it was he set up the cellar for me he said Leslie would like a drink and I'd like a drink he then said to Leslie Leslie I've got a horse and it's certainly as good as anything I've had. He said, and I think there's quite a big chance that it might win the derby. The horse was called Nashwan. Willie Carson used to ride it. And he said, Dick said to Leslie, can you get me 200 quid on? Leslie said, certainly. At the prior, at the time, the horse was six, seven and one. But a few of us, three or four of us, who Leslie told, we all said that we put 50 or 60 quid in and cut a story short, Leslie returned him a 30 to 100 to 2, 16 to 1. He then kept in touch with Leslie. Everything's fine, this and that. Come the morning of the race, Leslie said, phone Dick Earn. He said, Dick, I don't want you to think I'm getting busy. He said, I'll poke him, he knows him. He said, but it's something I have to tell you. He said, I've, I, you know, you've had a 30 to 100 to 2. He said, it's now a very short price. 
He said, and Dick, what you should be doing is taking your 200 quid back. He said, and you'd have in the region of two and a half grand for nothing. His answer was, Dick, he said, Leslie, you're not poking your nose in. I appreciate your call very much. He said, but Leslie, if I was a gambler, instead of taking me 200 quid back, he said, I should be having more on. He said, everything I've asked this horse to do, it's done. Willie Carson, he said, Willie thinks the world of it. Uh, and at the time, Willie Carson had a friend called Homer Scott. He was a trainer. They grew up together in Glasgow. And Homer liked to bet. Became a trainer, new market, and... As I say, Willie was very friendly with him. Now, where we got more confidence when Ash Wham were, that a good lead also in the yard were friendly with Willie Carson. And he said to Homer, he said, look Homer, he said, this horse, is a bit temperamental. He said, but I've never rode better. He said, however, Derby Day, first race is at two o'clock. The second race is at 2.35. He said, then there's an hour gap to the Derby. He said, now what with the carnival atmosphere, big wheels going round, and all different things happening, a horse could lose its race before it went to... They used to have to walk right across the downs from where the horse boxes, what they travelled in, was. And walking right across the downs, he said, what with carnivals and big wheels and different things happening, he said, and an hour, he said, they could just get theirself at it. He said, but Homer, he said, if this was a race around Lingfield, Kenton, Sandown in the week, not on a Saturday, he said, I would be telling you to have a massive bet. Cut a story short, it finished up, we all had another couple of quid on when we heard that story. Willie thought the world of it, Dick Earn thought the world of it, and apparently everything they'd asked it to do, it passed with flying colours. And the, you know, news of it was very, very strong. To cut a story short, as you know, it went on to win quite comfortable. And 
with all of the touch, thank God. And as I say, Leslie was very, very friendly with Dickon. He was also um, very friendly around Ian Balding. And Ian Balding trained a horse called Mill Reef, which we backed, not massive bet, but we backed it. To cut a story short, Leslie was now getting on, became pretty old. He'd have been 70s. So he said, Johnny, he said, I want you after this race. He said, I want you to do something for me. So after the race, he said, now come here. He said, I want to introduce you to somebody. It turned out that his name was Archie and he was very hot round Ian Baldwin's horses. So Leslie said to Archie, he said, Archie, he said, I'm getting on now. He said, I won't be as round every day like I always was. He said, and if you ever want anything done, he said, and I'm not there. He said, this is Johnny Lights. He said, you give him what to do whatever you want. He said, you'd always have the best of it. He said, and I am would be responsible. So I never, Archie, never heard or see him. But one day he came to the realm. It was at Newbury. <clears throat> I saw him and he said to me, excuse me, Johnny. He said, is Leslie around? I said, no, Arch. I said, he's not. I said, but there were no mobiles then. I said, he's in the Victoria Club playing Kaluki. I said, I can get him. He said, okay. He said, can you do me a favour and put me £400 on a horse? I said, certainly, Arch, leave it to me. I then went on the phone to Leslie. I said, Leslie, first time he's ever came to me, but the guy you introduced me to has come to the row looking for you. Okay. I said, he's given me 400 quid to have on a horse. He said, Johnny, you're making a mistake. He said, I've done his business for many, many years. And the most I've ever known him to have on was 200 quid. He said, I want you to go back to the bar where he'll be. Tell me exactly where he'll be in members. And I went back. I said to Archie, look, Archie, I've just spoke to Leslie. And, you know, he asked me to ask you if he could, you know, if he could back it. Ian thinks it's the best he's had since Mill Reef.
He said it's owned by the same guy, Paul Mellon, same colours. He said and he thinks it's a forest flower, the horse was called. He said and he really thinks it'll win. Leslie said to me, he said, oh, he said, put me a thousand pounds on. Now, a thousand pounds for Leslie was much more than he'd normally have on. But he was very good at measuring out and he, he learnt me that he would measure his bets out according to whatever the lead had on who told him. And cut a story short, the first bet I got was a 15,008 with Stephen Little. There was another very big player on the rails called Michael Simmons. He bet for Heathall. I went to him, I got a 7,500 because what with Archie 400 quid and Leslie a thousand pounds, I also, Leslie always learnt me to measure it out what who's told you had on. Cut a story short, Stevie called from Rodit, come up the outside, it hacked up. Never, never turned out. I think well, two, three weeks later, it ran Royal Ascot. The big two-year-old there, the Coventry. Running again. So Leslie made a couple of inquiries again with Archie. And Archie said, look, he said, I want to back it, Leslie. He said, but I don't want... Nothing like the 400 quid on. He said, I want you to put me 150 quid on. To cut a story short, ran in the commentary, it hacked up again. That was that. Um, you know, there was some real good leads about. Um, and Leslie Woods, were the operator chaps on him here. He was really, absolutely the, the man I always trusted. And outside of my family, my lovely daughters and Megan, there's very, very few people in the world that I trust with my life. But Leslie, I would have trusted him. Um, he learnt me many things. Uh, my weakness would have been if we backed a couple of losers early. I, f I used to go at the chase to try and get out of it. And he was very close to me. He said to me, come on, let's get out of here. He said, there's no last race. He said, they start again tomorrow at two o'clock. He said, and that was it. We've, out we went. Now, 
the help he gave me was immense because he was now getting on and he'd been with lots of trucks, not lots, but 10 or 12 trainers over the years that trusted him with a few quid to have on. And he was wonderfully respected by them. Everybody loved Leslie Woods. He only, he didn't deal in bad, he only dealt in good. He only, you know, dealt in the truth. He didn't deal in lies. And as I say, he had a lifetime of being on race courses from a very young age. And in the 60 years he'd been on the course, he became friendly with different trainers over the years. George Todd was a good leader of his. Not Peter, but Mick used to be, was a good leader of his. And different trainers, you know, he had some real good leads. Um, he went on to say, he, he absolutely taught me lots. As I say, unfortunately, later on, be five or six years ago now, maybe six or seven, he became ill and he unfortunately passed away. Not going to his funeral broke my heart. But unfortunately, I was fighting sepsis at the time. I was fighting for my life. But he was an absolute joy. He liked to joke. He was fun. He was a wonderful, experienced man at the races. And what he taught me, different bits and pieces, I could never, ever have repaid him. From there, it absolutely killed me. As I say, I couldn't go to his funeral. I thought at the time, the media, whatever paper was the major, I, I think it may well been the post, I think the sporting life had gone. I thought they should have made a bigger thing about his death. I think all it was was three lines. Uh, and it said, a well-known player in the South has unfortunately died Leslie Woods. Now, I thought it was I thought he should have had a lot more respect. There was also people that should have been to the funeral, never went. <coughs> I thought, you know, that were pretty poor. Okay, John, so you said in the, in the 
part before, you've got your tank together, you've got a nice few quid, you've learnt from your mistakes, you're going back to take them on on the race course. So, did it, you know, how did it go that second time? Well, what happened was, funny enough, I'd follow certain people that I knew was hot, because I was still very young, and it turned out, 10 or 20 years later, Whereas I used to ask them what they'd done, they would ask me what I'd done because I was around some good messages from the Rouse. There were players in the ring, you know, who you could get a bet with. i become a lot more selective. I was a time-form addict. Time-form was... As far as I knew, it was the best tips to gargle a lot. And, you know, I, I've been to plenty of weddings, but I've also been to a couple of funerals. The Tory day nearly knocked me out. I was Mickey Fletcher's rep. I bet on the rails. He was away like the travel Fletcher. I went to Ascot this day, the day the Tory wrote the winners, and I done 180 grand. The, didn't know how I was going to pay, but thank God one or two firms put me on the instalment plan. Them who didn't put me on the installment plan, I had to find their readies. But thank God, I was very near to coming out the game because I didn't fancy, you know, pulling up that sort of money out of my tank. It, it left me absolutely nigh on gone. But touch wood. One or two of the firms were very fair with me and they let me pay them on the instalment plan. I had to give Coral 70 or 80 grand. I had to give Hills 30 or 40 grand. I think I had to give Ladbrokes in the region a 21. But, as I say, it knocked the tank to six. And I decided with Megan that I was gonna pay, but, because I didn't really want to leave the races, because by that time, I'd built up some very good leads. And although the tank was knocked out nigh on, I always fancied that eventually I'd come again. I then played a lot smaller because I had no tank to bang away with. And thank God, over a period of a year, I got out, I got me money back I'd done with the Tory. The reason I failed it Tory day was at Ascot, 
you go up a flight of stairs and there'd be various bookmakers. There'd be a bar where people could have a drink, but there'd also Victor would have a stand there, Victor Chandler, Ladbrokes, Hills, Corals, they all had their stand. Now, I would, you know, write down, I'd be betting on the rails with Fletcher's tools. So I'd go up and Royal Ascot, write the prices which certain firms offered on the races. And it came a time where the first two he rode, I didn't do any harm. Then he rode either his third or fourth, he rode a skinny one, two-year-old. And in the morning I had on my card, the firms were offering about nine or two, five. And it's with him back in the early couple of winners, the firms, the major firms, would send it back to the course and they knew it had to be shortened. Now, from being nine to two or five in the morning, come a time now, you can lay 13 or eight. And I've always said, well, I'd always liked a bit of value. I understood percentages and figures. And I decided that I was going to give it a clump. Because, as I say, it's been five, nine or two, five. I'm now laying 39. Cut a story short, he wrote that. He wrote the next winner. Now, naturally, I'm overdoing the lump on the third race, the two-year-old he rode. I've done me back on everything now he rode that day became shorter than it should have been. Because the major firms, Hills, Ladbrokes, Corals, had major liabilities. And they would, as strong as the market was there, Stephen Little, Colin Webster, and as they were sending it back, they weren't shortening up to the effect that the weight of money they would send through. He rode the next winner, as you know. Next winner, six winners. Come the last race, a horse he rode was a massive price in the morning. Corals came to me and their reps at the main journey, you can, we're looking about the favourite. He said to me, near enough, whatever price you offer me, I'll take. I said, oh, like, you know, I'll do my way, leave me. I said, he said, well, what price? I said, I'll lay you 13 nights. All of a sudden, one, one thirty to eighty. I said, well, I said you got sixty on thirteen eight, and he went on to ride the last winner, you know.
He'd now rode seven winners. My tank had gone from Park Lane to Brick Lane. We also have another saying, it went from Hollywood to Cricklewood. And that was it. I was a bit unfortunately, actually, to be there that day because I used to play very big on football. I had a couple of judges that I put on for were pretty near the mark. They would get papers sent to them from many parts of the country where the local paper would be a lot more informative for the local sides. But unfortunately, don't know why, but I finished up Ascot that day. And that was the story. Didn't end up like Gary, though. There's always people worse. Gary would done a lot worse, didn't he? Pardon? Gary Wiltshire. Well, Gary's done more than me. He's done a real long time. And you're, you're quite friendly with Gary. I love him. We've been on two or three holidays together, Megan and I and his wife, and unfortunately I don't think he's with her now, but he's a wonderful character, Wiltshire. He, you know, we both weren't frightened of spending a pound and we'd have great fun together. Um, as I say, a couple of different holidays. We went, we had a good time. I'll tell you a funny story about Wiltshire. I used to be very tidy with my few quid. I mean, Mickey Fletcher, and after I had all these notes up the right way. I wasn't quite as bad as Fletcher, but I used to like me a few quid tidy. We decided, Gary and I, we'd go to Perth. And as I say, you know, he, he was a player wheelchair. We get to the airport and all his money was still in his odd. And that was it. It was the much was in there, but there was quite a bit you wouldn't know. When we get to the desk to get our tickets and get on the plane, the guy, the girl, said, I'm afraid that can't, that bag there, which was his odd, <coughs> She said, that can't go as hand luggage. She said, it's got to go as luggage. So naturally, Gary now had to take the few quid out. Well, the girl on the desk, I and him were now straightening it out. Well, if I tell you, I think there was about five or six grand in there, screwed up. Wiltshire just stung it in the odd, and that was it. Good fellow, Gary. Had many, many good.
good times with him. He was great fun, Gary. I loved him. Another good character I was very friendly with round the Midlands was Mickey Fletcher. He, he was a one-off. He loved to travel. He'd go away, he's away now. He'd go away perhaps the end of August and he'd be away four or five months. He'd come back for Cheltenham. Good character, Fletcher. A lot of fun. You know, we had a gang where... So what, 10 or 12 of us were friends? It was a laugh, it was a laugh a minute, believe me. You'd always hear a fresh joke and the race course was a good place to be. And that was well, that. You were telling me before, but somebody, I saw an interrupt there, one of my interviews, I've done Mickey Fletcher and also I've done Rucker, Steve Noyce. You said you had a story about Steve. I'll tell you a funny story about Rucker. Not being rude or talking about him, but he knew the numbers of the pound notes in his pocket in case he lost them. He was, he was a pretty... I loved him, but he was pretty mean with the pound. And he'd drive... He'd know the price of petrol at every garage. Where he'd make sure... And one day, we were going to Doncaster. Goffey fans had a couple of horses at Doncaster. So, Steve and I went to Doncaster in my car. We're on the motorway and everyone was talking about different things. And there used to be a firm, I don't think they're named now, a big major firm that had articulators and they always had a girl's name on the side. Stobart. Stobart was the... That's it. So... Eddie Stobart. I said to Rucker, now I knew every name was the girl's name on the lorries. So I said, come on, I said, this is for who pays the X's, me or you. I said, the next Stobart lorry we pass, I said, do you want a girl or a boy? The name. So I had the girl, he had the boy. I was driving along. I said to him, well, what did it say? He said, Charlie, <laughs> it was great. He was very quick. He was always, at, he used to be at Reading Dogs. And he, he was a wonderful character. I had many, many laughs with him. Right, Jolly, we, people can't see it on the thing, but you're sat here right next to your laptop. You've got the racing post. So I'm guessing that you're still... And you've got the TV right in front of your bed there. So I'm guessing that you're still punting. I still have a bet, Simon. 
I love the game, as I say. I've gambled for 60 odd years. I love a football bet. I like a cricket bet. I like different bets, but I wouldn't play a penny in the pound to what I once played. I still like a bet. Don't have many bets. I speak to Stevie Lewis Hamilton every day. And when he fancies something, as he does, say, three or four times a week, my darling daughter had come put me. I'd have 200 quid on. Where once I, I could have 20 or 30 grand on, where now 200, 300 quid would be a big bet for me. I still, as I say, I over not getting out of bed, not being able to get out of bed, touch wood, I like to think I'm over the worst. Doctors are pretty happy with me. I once, two years ago, was on 21 tablets a day. Now, thank God, I've got 21 tablets. I'm now on 10 a day. And, you know, I love to watch this ball. I like a bet. I like a cricket bet, I like a golf bet, but, as I say, not a penny in the pound to what I once played. I still, still think there's no better sensation of backing a winner. And, you know, I like to follow certain trainers, I like to back a Willie Mullins horse in Ireland, not that I know anything, I only guess. But he looks to me a top guy. And, you know, as I say, that's it. Do the bookmakers let you bet with them then? Are they, um, they're not scared of your money? Well, what happened was I was very disappointed in Betfair. They came to me when they first opened and they said, Johnny, amongst others, we, we, you're welcome to have an account with us because I was, you know, quite a big player. However, they got me my first computer. They bought me at Christmas. I'd get a case of, you know, Cavazier or... Uh, they weren't mean, they... And I was very friendly with Betfair. Always got a good deal. However, as time went on, Betfair, from being there, was allowed to play on the Asian market. Now, believe me, the Asian market is massive. And on cricket, in Asia, sides like Pakistan, 
by test match, they would the figures would be astronomical. There may have been seven or eight million traded on Betfair on a test match. Asia market very, very strong. And they became a big force. Now in the early days there was high street betting shops. Corals, Hills, Ladbrooks, Betfred, Paddy Power. Along came Betfair. Victor Chandler was offered. Would he like to have shares in it? Many people was offered shares in it. In the city, I think the original state was 25 grand if you wanted to buy a share in it. Because what happened was they run out of readies and the software they had to use was much more expensive than they anticipated. There was a commentator on the telly, can't think of his name, his son was a very big name in Betfair. Right, carry on. I used to play quite, you know, quite big. But once they got established with the Asia market, they weren't so happy with Johnny Lights because where I was a player, prominent player at the beginning, they had guys in Asia that would literally play in hundreds of thousands. When they first started, as I say, the, the high street bookmakers didn't take a lot of notice. They thought they would come and go. But unfortunately for them, the weaker they got, because people were playing Betfair, the stronger Betfair became. Now, the high street shops started to have to take notice of them. Eventually, there were so many oots from the high street shops that they really put the Gambling Commission in a situation where, you know, and their argument was, to be a layer, you had to have a permit. And they said Betfair were illegal, letting certain people be a layer that had no permit. Said to the Gambling Commission, you know, what's going on? Then, apparently, I was told by a Betfair client, a lot, several people, I don't know, would loan the money up on Betfair. They'd be put 10 or 20 grand in, 
and if they got 10 or 12 back, they'd be happy because it was washing up the money. Then the Gambling Commission really got, you know, was put in a position by the High Street that they really had to do something about it. Then the Gambling Commission started to drive um, the exchange players, Betfair, Betdac, they decided to make it pretty difficult for them. And they had not a lot of alternative, Betfair and Betdac, because they were being now drove man by the Gambling Commission, they made it very hard they couldn't wash up the money anymore every bet that every sum of money that was put in the bet fair whoever put it in was asked certain questions where's it come from and this and that cut a story short i then had been playing with them quite a time when I phoned up one day, went to my bank, put some money in. They said to me, you know, we have to ask you through the Gambling Commission where the money's come from. I said, I've been a big player over the years. And, but I couldn't convince them that it was straight money. And they made it very difficult for me. I could play with them, but every money you deposited, there was a steward's inquiry. Where is it this and where is it that? And I got fed up. Eventually, I decided that I didn't want to play anymore with that fair. I was home. I didn't know much was going on. And I was terrified of getting otted up. And I eventually stopped playing. Now, I don't play with any exchanges. My daughter or my wife. If I want to bet, I go to the, you know, there's a couple of field shops, coral shops, where if you wanted it, you could get a fair bet. But as I say, I don't now play big figures. Say, a monkey now for me would be a massive bet. My bets now would be one and a half, 200 quid, two and a half. Depending on Stevie Hamilton, how much advanced one, I'd measure it out. And that was that. But from buying me my first computer and sending me Christmas cases of Topps warning, I was very disappointed, as I say, from at the start, I was one of the very first to play on Betfair 
They treated me like a king. But from the time at the end, I was just, you know, it was hard to speak to anybody on the phone and they became very Asian-minded and that was it. So I, I turned it up with them. I don't know for sure, but I do think that exchange players, exchange companies, I think, my guess, I don't know, but I think they're all in cahoots with each other. I then was playing with Beck when I left Betfair. I started playing with Beck Dak. You know, it was owned by a guy called Desi Desmond from Scotland and all of a sudden I started having problems with them. Phone up on a deposit, 10 grand, oh, Mr. Handel, we have to ask you where it came from. And they start out at the finish what we're not being well and not being my old self. I I couldn't dare come into I, I I just didn't want to play. Number one the reason I didn't want to play was thirteen years ago at the start of being ill, I had a lot of money. But, as you well know, just keep going to the well over 13 years, it knocked a big hole in the tank. And, you know, every time I had a roll call, I had a roll call, I had less than I had before. And, naturally, you know, I've got a beautiful place here that's paid for. We're not every night drinking champagne. We like good food. And touch wood, the tank should last us, you know, till we're pushing up the daisies. But it wouldn't last if I'd have got involved and done lumps. So now I decided, as I say, I'd have a bet in the betting shop. They bought a bet for me. And I wouldn't be a loser. As I say, very much on Stevie Hamilton's card. Still in touch with a couple of real good judges on football. And fancied myself as a cricket judge over the years, I've loved cricket since a kid. I never lived far from the Oval. Lived in Camberwell. Would go to the Oval. I watched Keith Miller, Richie Benno, as far back as that. And over the years, I've become a fair judge at cricket. You know, I wouldn't... I don't get myself at it, but I am a, f I reckon, and I'm known for it, to be a fair judge at cricket.
how I can cook it, but I once tried to play golf. I had four swings at a ball and never got it off the floor. So I lost a bit of interest in golf. I like to watch a major golf now. I lay here and some of the four days, as you know, I may have a bet at the beginning, 50 quid. Perhaps dig out three or I fancy, 50 quid on each. And I enjoy it for the tournament. I still like a major when the major's on at tennis. I quite like a bet. And that's that. Uh, thank God in 1966, uh, no, the year before the World Cup, I met my darling Megan. I must have been informed that day. For, from 1966, when I was 18, we got married the following year, 67, and for 55 years, last October the 22nd, I've worshipped her, she's worshipped me. Couldn't be more happy. And over the last 13 years, God forbid, certain things she's had to do, do for me, couldn't tell you, and I could never repair. Thank God I'm now, hopefully, I don't like talking too quick, but I'm as, you know, health-wise, as good as I've been in 13 years. As I say, two or three times, when I've had sepsis and different bits and pieces, I came very near pushing the daisies up. But now, thank God, still got my lymphedemia, still got my cellulitis, gone deaf. But thank God, I still enjoy my life. I have wonderful, I've got wonderful carers. I like watching the television. I don't miss many sports. I'm sport mad. I lay here, I've got a nice comfortable home, thank God. We're in no, you know, no money problems, providing I'm sensible for the next to where time comes of passing on and all in all. I'm as ill as I've been. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. Brilliant. Well, Johnny Lights, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And um, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Simon.